It's podcast time. What's up again, guys? Uh, today, I'm going to explore a theory that uh, I've got brewing in my mind about one of the most underappreciated uh, film franchises. It's kind of in a tough spot because it's two movies, and it's supposedly a third, which I'm going to get into. Spoiler alert. But uh, I'm talking about the Shanghai films. Um, the Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights, respectively, uh, Jackie Chan Owen Wilson films, which are so hilarious, and I don't know if you've seen them. It's really not a lot of spoilers. Like I would say, spoiler alerts because I'm going to dissect the movie. But the spoilers make no bearing on this movie. There, you, you will not be surprised. You'll have a, a great time, but you'll know what's you'll know what's coming. Uh, you got classic Jackie Chan at the height of his powers. You've got martial arts, like the slapstick comedic uh, kung fu from Jackie Chan. You get, you know, straight man Owen Wilson with his, wow, just, you know, representing, doing it. It's great. Uh, first, they're in, I think, Nevada, Carson City. They're in, they're in the Old West. And in the second one, they go to England. So they're kind of uh, globe-spanning, but I, I rewatched both of them this week, actually, uh, with some people, and I was hoping to, I don't know, I guess revisit these movies and see if they hold up, because it had been a couple of years and I bought them on Amazon, and they're still great, still make me laugh, still, uh, I don't know, just chock full of imaginative scenes, and I got some notes on my phone here, so mind any any noises, but... They did their fucking homework on these movies. This is really what made me want to, like, jump in and do a podcast, was just simply because I was reading up on the years of uh, of when the movies take place, and the amount of accuracies and historical work that they put in is just nuts. So, I, as you guys probably mentioned, I have a degree in, in Asian, East Asian history. Uh, I majored in specifically Japanese, but much like with, uh, you know, science at the entry point, you have to learn a lot of the sciences and be more general. Um, anyway, the first movie takes place in 1881, and they tell you that right off the bat. They don't specifically tell you the month or anything, but I've been doing some, you know, fan fiction writing on, on the characters for a little bit, and uh, mostly it started as a joke with, with uh, Jeff, but I, I put Owen Wilson's character, uh, Roy O'Bannon, and his gang a little bit outside of Nevada. I think that they were uh, in Arizona, in, I think, Tucson, because in the year 1881, that was a city that was first incorporated. I think Phoenix, sorry, not Tucson. Phoenix, Arizona, February 25th, gets incorporated. So I imagine they were there. They were causing some trouble. Maybe they were using the newly created uh, Canadian Pacific Railway, which in that year was sort of inaugurated. I, I knew that from work, not even from Wikipedia, so... There you go, government. Uh, I've got some speculative theories that he's just a world traveler and he's familiar with, um, you know, with, with war and sort of a, a Rick O'Connell... I don't know. You know in The Mummy you get that sort of globe-trotting, mercenary, seen it all gun for hire? I think we have that in Royal Bannon. He's just sort of seen the death that war brings and he, he keeps a, a light upbeat attitude towards it but 
I have a theory he served in the Boer War, the first one, because that ends in uh, March 23rd of 1881. But, you know, there's a lot of... A lot of theories, I think most realistically, you get April 28th, well, it's actually the day I got married, uh, not in the year 1881, but, you know, uh, Billy the Kid jumps out of jail, uh, he escapes his, his captors in uh, New Mexico, kills some people, steals a horse, gets out of town, jumps off the grid for a couple months, so... Perhaps Royal Bannon's gang was involved in that. I don't know. There's a lot of things that could have brought them to that train. But the year that it takes place puts the Emperor of China at the time as, I'm going to say, the Guangzhou Emperor. G-U-A-N-X-G-X-U. Excuse my white guy pronunciation. Guangzhou Emperor, I'm going to assume. I know that means, like, glorious succession or something, because we had to learn about that in school. Um, good guy. It is theoretically possible that he would have sent delegates to, to treaties with the people who kidnapped his daughter, and it definitely seems willing that he'd be, he'd be open and, and aware of Western civilization enough to facilitate that kind of connection, because he was famously involved in a lot of international uh, business. I think the first opium war sits during his reign. Um, he's actually memorable for not being very personally effective because he he was with a, a consort slash partner wife. It's complicated when you're a royal family, but the Empress Dowager Cixi, C-I-X-I, um, sort of a Cersei Lannister type. Um, very cool, very interesting history. I read her, um, like a biography put together about her and her clutches and how she was an extremely effective, you know, manipulative woman with a lot of agency for the time and for her role. And there were people who would circumvent the emperor and bring tasks to her and seek her counsel. And it's fascinating. So all that could make sense as to why Chum Wing and his uh, compatriots are on that train, but I uh, what always stuck out to me, even before toting a, an Asian history degree, is that if you kidnap the fucking emperor's daughter out of the forbidden city, you're gonna get the largest army on earth invading wherever you are. I don't care that, like, they were spirited away in the night. As soon as it's like she's missing, it's not like, how much can we pay? It's, let's war make at that guy. I mean, you see a giant army and there's some sort of dance formation or tai chi or something at the beginning of the movie so like I'm not I'm not sure why the move to send like three dudes like I'm not saying march on them it was obviously a stealth clandestine way that you could have approached it they should have asked strategist Wang he would know the answers you watch Great Wall guys I mean w watch it but know that you laid it so but watch it for the laughs watch it for the Willem Dafoe watching from the sidelines for most of the movie doing nothing. Um, yeah, so Shanghai Noon, pretty authentic uh, world setting. I'm going to get into Shanghai Nights and how they do uh, a crazy good job of actually matching up the timeline for what's happening in the events of the movie. But you have... Uh, I don't know, I really... I don't see any flaws in the movie. You have that comedy in that sort of early 2000s 
where you could get away with, I don't know, making jokes. My favorite joke in the whole movie is uh, there's three obviously traditionally dressed Chinese martial artists practicing on this mountain, like on this hillside, and this like grizzled frontier couple like hardened by the trail or watching and the, the guy's like a vested interest and the woman's looking kind of distrustful and she's like they don't look like any Indians I ever seen Jedediah and he's like because they're not Indians woman they're Jews and it's like super funny very funny I still as a kid that got me but there's just lots of that kind of stuff riddled throughout it and there's a lot of the the native uh, where I'm from Native Americans is the term we say uh, Indians perhaps is what you would know it by with respect, obviously. Um, they're in it a lot at the beginning. They have a hilarious scene where Jackie Chan kind of marries, I think her name is Falling Leaves, which is the daughter of the, the Indian chief. This happens shortly after uh, the, the train incident. But uh, the Indians are never the butt of the joke. They're always just sort of like a component of jokes, and it's a, they're a good group of people. And, you know, it's nice to have that kind of representation without it being dicey and, and controversial. Uh, you have, his name escapes me, uh, I'm, I'm off the notes, if you're wondering, um, but you have this crazy, dirty henchman bit character who kind of throws everything, his name's Wallace, I think, in the movie, he sort of throws everything, uh, a wrench in everything, rather, for Roy's plans, uh, on the train, and then leaving him for, uh, to be found, and, and he sets a lot of events in motion, but... It's a character that I'm watching in movies now, in 2019, in, in Marvel. It's hilarious. He's that sort of tertiary villain that you get in Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I think it's great. I remember he had kind of a funny name, Grogus or something? I don't know. Probably not Grogus. Uh, what, where do we go from there? There's a U.S. Marshal who's kind of an evil guy, and he's teamed up with the evil... Chinese industrialist who was behind the kidnapping of the princess from the Imperial City. Um, he's helping, I guess, to organize Chinese labor for the railroads. Um, but the princess, played by Lucy Liu, is like a, a lady of the people, and she refuses to um, she refuses to run away because it'll result in like the death of peasants, I think. But she also refuses to like. I don't know, comply with his orders or something. I don't know. He's a bad guy. She doesn't want to do the bad guy stuff. It's, it works out. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of the movie is the the odd couple, buddy cop, you know, smooth-talking cowboy and fish-out-of-water Chinese martial, you know, Eastern martial artist. And it, it could not be any funnier. You get great action... It, like western action set pieces in, in a kung fu styling with kung fu action and flavor and I don't know I, I think it's pretty flawless it, it, with Jackie Chan because the man's a stunt god and he's amazing it always holds up and it's always timeless because he did it he broke the bones to do it in real life and it looks like it's been done in real life um yeah I'm, I'm a very hardcore Jackie Chan fan. I remember back when Facebook was first kind of coming to, I don't know, fruition, and everyone was, like, it was starting to become the very saturated Facebook that it was in the early days where you'd have, like, 
30 widgets on your profile of like Farmville and what Game of Thrones character am I and what sound would I be and what type of underwear do I appreciate on horses and it just like if it was a thing there was a group about it or you could get some app or like click here to leave anonymous messages about my shoes or something don't do that I have awful shoes on right now I look like a homeless person with these dress shoes but dress boots doesn't matter um yeah, I started the, because there wasn't one, the official Jackie Chan Facebook group fan page or something was the point of that story. I like the guy. A lot of respect for someone who does their own stunts. I think he makes maybe occasionally a bad movie, but he's got a consistently phenomenal track record. And he can still bring it, man. I think you see in Karate Kid and you see in some other stuff that he's done recently, and even in interviews, like, he aged well, he's still fit, he's still... You know, he's he's like the, the Mr. Miyagi type. <laughs> That's, you know, maybe not, maybe a bit unassumingly intimidating, but you know he's able to cut a bottle in half with his hands, despite the graying in his hair. Um, yeah, I thought that... Uh, I'm obviously going to be super biased to Shanghai Noon. It's one of those movies that's like the nostalgia goggles were on, but also viewing it and trying to be objective. It's very funny. It's got a lot of, like, really good humor. Uh, I think they teach John how to become a cowboy as well as you can. Like, he learns uh, that atrocious Kid Rock song that was in, like, every ad ever. He learns uh, shooting and quick drawing and the joke of all of it is Roy O'Bannon, um, Owen Wilson, in being, like, sort of a glamour criminal, like, in being so beautiful and dashing. He's not actually very good at being a criminal, so he's, like, a terrible shot. Um, you know, he just doesn't, he doesn't know how to duel. Sorry, volume-wise, guys, for any frequent listeners, we're, we're in the, the Gundam room, the room of mechanical suits. No, well, I think it's some sort of mechanical room. I call it the turbine room, a big old turbine. Um, but there's some nifty office space and uh, interesting architectural stuff to chill out in. So uh, It's also a decent place to eat a crunchy bar and not have to worry about the allergies of people that might be allergic to that. <laughs> so by the end of the movie, they have the face-off in the church? Yes, in the church. Beforehand, at some point, there was a drunken um, bathtub scene, which is still one of my favorite ever. They play what looks like a super fun Chinese drinking game called, I want to say like Uno Mash, or maybe he's just saying Uno Mas. Or, I don't know, I've never really understood. It's definitely Chinese. Looks very fun. That whole bathhouse scene looks like a much different scene than when you talk about a bathhouse nowadays, but... Do-do-ch. By the end of the movie, the... Chinese dudes manage to haul their ransom gold to the church at the same time as the heroes and the villains, and there's a big fight, and everybody comes out on top that we're rooting for. And the Goggins, Groggins, whatever, the, the, the wrenching the plan guy shows up one more time to wrench the plan, but the Sioux tribe, I think, there? I don't know. It, this movie gets credit again because I'm fairly sure they picked and used authentic Aboriginal tribes and synced up their. Costumes and stuff to be real, but 
the ones that have the daughter that they've that Jackie's married arrive and they sort of like make sure everyone gets out okay. It's a great ending. There's a big Chinese style festival and uh, Jackie Chan gets to be with Princess Pepe and they they make lip touches and then uh, Owen Wilson does the same with Jackie Chan's wife, which is kind of weird and still kind of weirds me out, but I guess that marriage just never mattered. But they did fuck, so I don't know. It always just seemed like Jackie Chan's like, well, this is the girl I was intending, so I got her, so like, you do whatever with this one. Like, this is his wife, but okay, everyone seems happy by the arrangement. But not happy enough, because Shanghai Nights, part two. Well, like, not part two, but yeah. Part two of the Shanghais. Uh, this one is, I'm going to say 1889, and I don't have my notes, my phone's being weird, so... I'm just going to get to the ones that I remember. This was the movie where I was like, holy shit, they did their homework. Like, events in the movie that you probably don't even think much about. Like, it's the Queen's 150th... No, not 100. It's the Queen's 50th Jubilee Ball, her crown coronation. Things like that actually happened. So that is the 50th year of, I think it's going to be Queen Elizabeth's reign. And... (laughs) Elizabeth's reign... And, yeah, I thought that was fucking hilarious. You also, in the movie, I'll get to it, you meet a character that, you know, I think they know him as Artie until the end of the movie, where they're like, Arthur Conan Doyle, the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes. And they make a Sherlock Holmes joke, and because uh, Owen Wilson has to, he sort of Kaiser Soze's himself, Sherlock Holmes off a clock. But... Uh, 1887, or whenever this movie takes place, 89 or 87, is actually the first time, the year, that the first uh, Sherlock Holmes story appeared. Uh, I I don't want to give bad information, so I do want to look up the title. To Wikipedia! Tra-la-la! iPhone problems, am I right? Uh, okay, so it was 1887, nailed it. Uh, it is... Yeah, Arthur Conan Doyle's detective character Sherlock Holmes makes his first appearance in the novel A Study in Scarlet, published in Beaton's Christmas Annual. If anyone else was wondering, November of that year, the Association Football Club Celtic is formed in Glasgow, Scotland, by Irish Marist brother Wilfred to help alleviate poverty in the city's east end by raising money for charity, the Paul Children's Dinner Table. I'm going to name off a couple more of these. This is cool. Glen Fiddich Single Malt Scotch Whiskey is first produced December 25th on the day of the birth of Jesus. He crafted Glen Fiddich from the greatest drinks known to man. Heinrich Hertz discovers a photoelectric effect on the production and reception of electromagnetic waves. This is an important step towards the understanding of quantum nature of light. And of course the quantum realm. We're going to get to that later. I'm going to do a few more. I'm not going to have an entire episode where I just read historical facts in different accents, but that might come up now that I've thought about it in later ones, so keep an eye out. Publication in Barcelona in Arica Gaspar's El Rancropatea, first work efficient to feature a time machine that was in El Anacronoepete. Check the pronunciations, probably very wrong. Publication begins of Hutobeshime Ukuguma, first of modern novel in Japan. That's actually something we did in school. 
Furabate shime. Furabate shime. We used to call them Fuda in school, but you, you can't. You sh- we had to stop Googling it that way on the school Wi-Fi because it would come up with, like, NSFW content. Uh, and in terms of people born in that year, uh, I don't remember any of them being pertinent to the movie, so I'm probably going to get back to it, but this was nice. I feel like we had a, you know, the Netflix party. We had a Wikipedia party, guys. Super cool. Um, yeah, so in Shanghai Nights, you have a bit of a time skip. We see John, John Wayne, as he's been sort of taught how to cowboy. He's just cowboying now. He's taken up as, like, the sheriff of Nevada or Carson City. Get your fire water somewhere else, chief. Um, he's taken up residence there, and it's a good time. It looks like every day he's checking for mail from Princess Pepe or something. Or one day, a message in a box, in a box message or something, shows up, and he's like, fuck, my dad's been killed, gotta, got, gotta get my money together. And so he's apparently entrusted Roy with all of his money, which is a terrible idea. And uh, I remember watching this with a Chinese friend of mine in, at York, and he's like, this already an unbelievable fucking movie. What Chinese guy is going to give a white guy his money to manage? <laughs> like, as a Jewish person, fair question. <laughs> but um, he comes to New York, and Roy... It's, it's really funny, because Roy looks so swag, and you, you think he's like... You know, he's Mr. Rockefeller. He's Mr. Rockefeller Oysters over here. And he's in this white suit and smoking jacket, and he's got ladies on his arms... Is regaling them with the story. By now, we're kind of led to believe that Roy O'Bannon is this like uh, fictionalized mythic Western hero, and the girls are like fawning over him, they're dropping keys in his lap and grabbing his dick, which is on a rewatch. I'm like, damn, Roy! But uh, John shows up and he's like, I need my money. <laughs> Roy's like, I don't have it. Send Zeppelins. Like, I don't know, it's, it gets a bit Nick Cagey. But yeah, apparently he lost all the money in Zeppelins, which I have another sort of fan fiction story about that Roy unwittingly um, funded a lot of the early German Empire's uh, Zeppelin uh, technology, and, and it was his investment that would later make the Hindenburg possible, and that's why there were really no returns. Because if you're investing the amount of money in Zeppelins that he was talking about, there would be some sort of visible returns, and I don't want to believe he really just squandered it. I think he was telling the truth about his uh, Zeppelins. Fucked up with that automobile investment. Um, yeah, so they they dodge some some bobbies, some coppers in the lobby, and it's this very like London slapstick, goofy back and forth around uh, a, a revolving door, and it, it was a good time. A lot of the, the fight scenes seem very like double-dipped in the London sauce, despite it being in New York. Anyway, they hop a boat across the, the pond. They wind up in jolly old London town. You get the usual. You get pretty girls with bad teeth. You get people with off-putting accents, rain, and general dirtiness that you get from your 1800s London. Uh, <laughs> that It was in the commercial, so there's really no surprise of it, but there was this, you know, the cute blonde picked... I don't know, braids girl at the market, and I almost it's like, hey, pretty lady, and she smiles, and she's bad teeth, but he's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, and he like covers his hands, his fucking eyes, like that's so, that's so mean. Imagine any any flaw that a person has. Imagine 
introduce themselves to you, and you're like, oh, fuck, could take my eyes. So, yeah. It was a good time. London... London gives them a chance to meet... Uh, I keep wanting to say Dick Tracy, which is very strange. Charlie Chaplin, uh, in his younger form, and this is, again, spoiler alert, not really revealed until the end of the movie that that's who he was all along. And he, like, does a twirl with his bowler hat, and he's like, Chaplin, Charlie Chaplin, and it's like, okay. But it's strangely okay with it, because it's played by, and uh, Jeff told me this recently, Aaron Taylor Johnson, the guy that would be Quicksilver and Godzilla and stuff. So that's interesting. I always respect when somebody's been acting for a long time. They don't, like, bow out of it. Like, Joffrey was a really good actor, but, like, Gleason or something, he's like, I'm not done with acting forever. This is The World Hates Me, I'm done. Power to him, though. Uh, yeah, so they wind up, the kid teaches them, like, where this, you know, they, they pretty much yada 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 their way into, like, a luxury mansion somewhere, and then it turns out that Peter Baelish, Littlefinger, um, Aiden Gillen or something, who's the villain, Nelson Rathbone, or Lord Rathbone. And this is funny, because not only is he young as fuck, but I think this is, like, the first thing I ever saw him in, so he'll always be Lord Rathbone to me, like, not Littlefinger or Lord of the Vale. I wish people in Game of Thrones knew that. I wish one soldier and one throwaway scene in the background were all like, for the Lord of the Vale, like, for Lord Rathbone. But, yeah, stranger things have happened. They have Ed Sheeran. Everyone's always like, what's the weirdest thing in Game of Thrones you've seen? Is it, like, dragons? Or was it, like, when they go to Quarth and that person has, like, that quilted face and, like... Ed Sheeran was in the woods once. <laughs> it still, still haunts me. Took me out of that universe. No, I could never get out. Um, so they go to a party, and the probably the funniest joke for me that's just fucking off the wall, it's not even a, it's just that somebody was like, thought this through and made it happen, is that they have to disguise themselves. So Owen Wilson makes up some title, and he's got some, like, Prussian admiral's outfit on. And fucking Jackie Chan is dressed up as this is an Indian traditional outfit, and he's going as the Maharaja. But he's like doing the neck bobble thing, and the guy's like, "And from where do you hail, Maharaja?" And he's like, "Nevada." <laughs> it's like super fucking hilarious. And then Rathbone comes up to him. And he's like, "I didn't know there was a Raj of Nevada." And he's like, "Oh yes, there is." People buy it. It's a good time. We get a good spotted dick joke. And. Yeah, this one, it moves a lot faster, you know, they got sort of an objective, and they're already working together, so it becomes all about Jackie Chan's sister, I don't even fucking know if I mentioned that up till now, she, the very, very beginning of the movie, yeah, see, the, you know, this is one of those flow charts of how people tell a shitty story, and I have to double back, so I apologize, I was like eating food and talking to my friend when I watched this part, but like recently, but the movie opens with the Imperial City and the House of the Imperial Seal, and that's like a fucking golf ball-sized diamond in this dragon Chinese box medallion thing. Pretty much shows who has power or gives someone power to rule China, I'm not too sure, but at the beginning, an old man is guarding it, his guards and himself are killed in the exchange, because it turns out Littlefinger was there, I think? Yes. And he stabs him with his dagger, and he's like, Ooh, Chow! And that happens. So that guy was Jackie Chan's dad, and Sister Chan's dad. And so Sister Chan went to London to try and kill Littlefinger, gets locked up in prison. So it is uh, after they've met her, obviously, that these events 
start happening. It's more about their, you know, their bond with each other, and Owen Wilson's falling in love with her, and I like it because he's kind of an ineffectual combatant. He's not very good at fighting, especially compared to Jackie Chan, and she's amazing. She's, like, Jackie level, and he's just always, like, watching her kick ass and protect him, and he's like, she's gonna fight all my battles for me. <laughs> like, it's so funny. I dated, uh, many, many years ago, I dated a, a very uh, active, like, martial arts involved hunting girl who was a very nice wonderful girl but obviously didn't work out but I used to fucking say that all the time I guess going and be like oh she did this and like killed a I don't know like a horse or something and only not a horse I don't know an animal that people hunt harmlessly like she could find my battles for me um yeah so anyway good time um People don't kill horses where I'm from. I just want to be clear about that. I'm sure it was a type of bird or something. Um, a grouse. <laughs> yes. Uh, eventually, eventually he drops the line that she's going to be the savior of the house of O'Bannon. And that's just where my, my inner, you know, fandom wiki person exists on that level of, like, you said a thing that enticed my imagination and I'm now going to, like, plot that on five pages of, of a blog just to make it real. So I speculate that the House of O'Bannon is a, is a founding sort of American house. Came long ago from England, probably, sort of a European roots. I think England is the safest bet. I think that there's definitely a, a long lineage of... Jeff and I were speculating a way to make them time travelers, I think that's possible. I would I would buy that he's a sort of Doctor Who esque time traveler, but in my story, I've I've got him more as sort of like an immortal, just a like a Tuck Everlasting type dude, where he just doesn't really change in his appearances over the years, and he just lives a normal life. Besides that, um, I think there's some amount of like general immunity to damage, not. I don't know, I think it's more domino-like in, in Deadpool that damage and, and harm sort of deflects off uh, or finds a, a hard time getting purchase on the person. So it's not like if you put a gun to his head and shot him, he'd be fine. It's that it would probably malfunction or like if it was far enough away, it would just breeze by. So I got evidence for that in that gunfight at the, you know, the El Paso church at the end of the first one. All those bullets from a trained martial shooter. Nothing. And he was wailing on the pillar. I mean, like, there's... You got nothing. And the movie gives you nothing to explain that. And also, there's a substantial amount of harm and damage that anyone that's in a Jackie Chan movie is going to encounter, and he walks a lot of it off. But... Except when it's dick-based, like... But... <laughs> you and your smutty sex books. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway... They get, they get caught trying to apprehend Littlefinger, and there's this fight in the library of Littlefinger's estate, and Owen Wilson finds the Kama Sutra first, which is hilarious, because, like, despite everything happening around him, he literally just, like, sits down to, to read the book, and he's, like, flipping through it as Jackie's, like, silently fighting people in the background. But... He finds it, and he's reading it, and then later on, he throws that at the little finger. He's like, yeah, I found it, and I found your smutty sex books. And so, even though, uh, 
Well, okay. I got to I know movies have bloopers. I know uh, there's always going to be that thing. You can YouTube it. You don't have to watch the movie. But this movie has the single funniest fuck up ever. The best, best movie blooper in the world. That there's a fight scene in the library. I think, uh, you know, Owen Wilson and his Kama Sutra are holding a couple people back, and then Jackie's like fighting this guy, and they, they break out a ladder. You know, the library ladder for the stacks and stuff. And Jackie's hitting some people with it. He covers a guy in it and puts him on a table. And then spins it around and continues fighting, and when he comes back to it, that guy is an entirely fucking different guy. Obviously a different extra, a different stuntman, whatever. Which wouldn't be the end of the world if they hadn't gone from two people of uh, different races. <laughs> you have a guy who's like originally a white guy that he's fighting, puts a ladder on him, puts him on the table, and like goes back to punch him. <laughs> it's just an Asian guy. And <laughs> they just, same outfit, but... And they keep it going. Like, he's just the guy that, uh, that's there until the end of the fight. But they get captured. They're getting the, you know, he's got a monologue and they're getting the evil, evil speech. It turns out that Littlefinger intends to kill the royal family. And the best part is he pulls a sheet off of, like, this old-timey Gatling gun type howitzer thingy. And he's like, it's a machine gun. <laughs> like, fuck, man. This movie's outrageous. I love it. So, the plan was just to set up a machine gun on, like, the opposite banks during a fireworks show and mow down the royal family. Jackie, Owen, and, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and I guess Jackie's sister, wind up stopping him, and they launch a guy in the air with fireworks, and he explodes, which always stuck with me as being fucking awesome and kind of terrifying that, like, a big enough firework could carry off a human being and explode them without a trace. And then before the end of the movie's done, I think Jackie and Owen land in, like, the royal carriage and they meet the queen. So, yeah, I didn't really have a clear destination when I started this podcast. I've just been, I watched them both this week. I love them both. They hold up. They're good shit. And I'm <laughs> penning some, like, ridiculous on-the-side fan fiction about the, the House of O'Bannon and the, uh, the eternal timeless Roy who, you know, he's the handsome bandit because he's been the handsome outlaw for the past, like, 400 years. Like, he was the handsome sellsword in, in the year 1450. He was, you know, the handsome Boer War soldier shortly before. I don't know. We get into it. That one's a little tough just to, to make the bridge historically. You'd have to be, like, a French Foreign Legion mercenary type because I know America would have no involvement historically, but... Anyway, they're good movies. Check them out. Uh, we were spitballing some ideas as if they were to make a new one, and I, I know it's hard to believe people when they say outlandish things anymore in 2019, but no joke, we were throwing out suggestions, and I thought the natural progression, the only worthwhile answer for what could a sequel be called, was Shanghai Dawn, because noon, night, dawn. And also it just has a, has a poeticness to it. It's a good word. I'm fucking doing some, some looking up of it last night after I finished... And that is actually the name of it. There is a semi-confirmed third movie in the Shanghai series that is going to... And this is as of 2016. There's, there's been no talk on the, the Shanghai news channels lately for the past couple of years. But last, last there was word. 
It's confirmed to be taking place in China, and it's going to be showcasing China much in the same way that the first movie showcased the Old West. I don't really care. I think that's fucking awesome. They could take them to space. I don't really give a shit where they go as long as you get them. And they are confirmed. You're confirmed with uh, Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson and uh, Lucy Liu to come back as Princess Pepe. So, solid character, solid idea. Doesn't feel like sticky. I don't know. I do hope when you have a series like this, uh, I hope in the third one, like, they're surrounded in China and they're, like, about to go down and all hope seems lost, but it's, like, I don't know, some characters from the first one that we haven't thought about in a while. Maybe the gang, the old gang, comes back with Biggin and those people, but I don't know. Shanghai Dawn, guys. Look for it. Support it if you start hearing, uh, if you start getting some traction on Twitter and the news. Show that love, man. That movie needs to come out. I've waited long enough for more content. But, yeah, they're great movies. Give them a watch. That's probably what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a shorter episode today. Um, haven't been getting a lot of sleep. It's always tough, and it's almost bindingly frustrating that you can't really complain to your your wife about not getting enough sleep when you have a baby because it's infinitely worse for them. So my wife gets up probably twice, if not three times as much as I do in the night, and just mostly because every second or third time she just won't wake me up, or rather she'll just wake me up every second or third time. You know what I mean. There's most of the time she gets up, she feeds him, she goes to bed. The other times it's me maybe getting up to change him or something, because at this point we're still, we're still breast fam. So, it's hard. It's like, as a, as a dad in, with a new baby, I could see sort of an interesting perspective of life that I haven't seen before, that you, you work very hard, and I, I do work very hard, actually. I get up most days between 4.15 and 4.45, depending, honestly, of, like, how tired I am and how hard it is to get out of bed and, like, how much time I went up, like, looking at memes in the morning and trying to face a day. But I'll get to work at, like, 6, ideally. Just because, like, it's not actually that far to go. I'm just waiting and for the, the commuting and, you know. Um, 6 to 2 usually is the, the, the thing. And then, you know, home by 3. And then most of the time, it's, you know, my wife's still recovering from surgery and there's a baby, so it's a lot of, like, laundry, cleaning, dishes, like, I do all that shit. And then you're pretty exhausted, so it's, like, it's hard. It will get easier. It's one of those this-too-shall-pass kind of things, but it's, uh, when people talk about parenting and the strains and the challenges, they're always kind of vague about it, and I always hated that. It's like, oh, man, having kids is so hard. It's like, oh, like, what... Tell me about it. It's like, oh, it's so challenging. You're so tired. I'm like, oh, like, what was, where you, you know, can you give me some, yeah, you're just so drained. You're, like, exhausted. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> so I'm trying to give it a little bit more of a, an articulated uh, explanation so that people can maybe learn from that experience. I don't know. I, I'm having a good time. We both are. Kid's cute as fuck. Um, I love little Arthur. I, I hate that we have so much drama in our family because it's a baby, so be aware and advise to people if uh, you can have a baby. It just brings out the best and worst in everybody suddenly, but you could pretty much just do with a bit more sleep, I guess, and that's probably going around. Um, the amount of diapers and, and sort of toiletries for a baby 
it's also astounding. It's not the price. I mean, obviously, maybe a couple months or years into that, I'm going to have a different opinion. But it's more, I feel, a little upset and disappointed in, in the sheer amount of garbage that we're putting out. Because I'm not unaware of the fragile nature of, of the environment. And we live in a time as Canadians where we're being accused by a lot of countries as like having a garbage problem and shipping our garbage to the Philippines and to... Another country joined the bandwagon recently. I want to say Laos, but I don't know where it was. But, you know, there's a twinge of guilt when it's like every other day there's a... Looks like one of those old-timey massive cotton candy bags full of shitty diapers from a diaper genie and then like a bag of garbage and a bag of recycling every two or three days. I don't know. I think uh, the environment is way more important than we're giving it credit for. And it's it's frustrating because I've been involved, not involved in an active way, involved in an observatory way, <laughs> meaning I take the shape of a large building that can look at the stars. Um, I, I've been observing a lot of politics locally, municipally, and uh, provincially as well. Federally, I'm because of work, I'm supposed to not really get involved or talk about it. But anyway, um, people always treat the environment as this secondary concern that, like, you know, we'll do all these things, and, and as well, by the way, I'm going to clean up the parks and stuff. Like, this is a terrible state that the world is in, and I think that if people aren't willing to recognize that that is one of the most important things that anyone should face, and it's, it's borderless, it's without national designation. Every country stands to f fall or to benefit from our protection of the environment, so we've got to get a little more on that. You see it in a lot of countries, and it's always the same, and that's not to criticize, but you always see some Scandinavian countries and, and similar nations taking action and then other nations doing nothing or, or considering their ability to do something doing very nominal things so yeah, sorry guys I, I don't like to usually make it too political and you know, just it's important, it's hard um, yeah probably gonna wrap it there I actually haven't played Fortnite all week, so that's probably a statement on parenting, too. And uh, probably got some new movies in on the weekend, I'll let you guys know, but whatever everyone's doing out there, good luck. You know, this weekend, do something fun. Um, you know, as I said, especially considering the, uh, what do I call it, the, the machine room, the turbine room, the, I spend a lot of time at work uh, alone. Uh, in, contemplation and stuff, and then the hours that I work mean that I'm usually commuting alone, and you know, there's a lot of reflecting, and I, I feel like for anyone out there going through whatever it is they're, they're going through, I, I just want to wish, you know, a genuine you know, a, a cordial punch in the arm, like a light, like, you go get it fam, I believe in you so I feel like uh, a lot of people need to hear that more so, thanks for listening, guys, and, uh, yeah, I'm gonna keep making good shit. I was floored by the amount of podcasts that exist out there, and I think it's so fucking saturated, and why would you listen to, you know, I, I tried to find a good Game of Thrones podcast, and I got tired of fucking scrolling through, like, Game of Thrones pod, Pod of Thrones, Thrones cast, Talkin' Thrones, Casterly Talks, which is actually my favorite one by name alone, but... The Screen Junkies, the Talking Thrones, I think, is okay, but it's just the idea that everybody and their uncle has a podcast, so I always uh, I want to say thanks for, for listening, guys, and coming around to my block. So, 
feel free to drop any suggestions and stuff on Twitter, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.